is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. Well, got a good question. Is a shutdown on the menu? And the University of Colorado Buffaloes are undefeated. They suck up a lot of oxygen in the college football world. After just three games, the new head coach, Deion Sanders, was interviewed by 60 Minutes. For now, the Buffs have gone from irrelevant to essential in the college football world. In the competitive arena of sports or business, you need to stand out to be noticed. But when you're the government, standing out isn't hard to do. This week, the Federal Reserve released a new statement on monetary policy. And by the end of this month, Congress is supposed to either pass a new budget or possibly shut down non-essential government services. Investors will be watching intently. The median investors are starting to focus on this issue. We don't think it's time well spent. History shows that no relationship between federal shutdowns and the performance of the economy. We had two shutdowns in late 1995 and early 1996 and saw no recession either time. There was a shutdown in 2013, no recession. There was a brief shutdown in early 2018, no recession. The most recent shutdown was the longest 35 days from December of 18 through January of 19. You guessed it, no recession. The last time a shutdown coincided with a recession was in October of 1990. That was only a four-day shutdown, but money was already tight and a recession was inevitably either way. There's another way to think about it. In the last 40 years, the government has been shut down for 91 days. Among those days, the U.S. was in recession for four days and not in a recession for 87. By contrast, in the past 40 years, the U.S. has been in a recession about 8% of the time. That means the economy was more likely to be growing when the federal government was shut than when it was open. This doesn't mean a recession can't start in the fourth quarter, but if we do get a recession, it'll be a coincidence due to the lagged effects of the tighter monetary policy of the last year, not the shutdown itself. Note that unlike some other budget confrontations in the past, this one does not involve paying the federal debt. For better or worse, the debt limit has been suspended until January of 2025. This means that even if the government is shut, all the debt will get paid in time. There will be no default. And Social Security checks and other benefit payments will still go out. The mail still gets delivered. Essential government workers keep working, including those needed for national defense. The government is not the economy even though many in D.C. and many voters think that it is. But those that produce wealth are the ones who have to pay for it, and the cost keeps going up. 
1930, the federal government without defense was about 2% of GDP. Today, that percentage is 22%. The government has grown about 10 times more than the economy as a whole. Debt is at a record high, with interest rates and rapidly rising entitlement costs. We are on an unsustainable path. As we said two weeks ago, the federal government is running the most reckless and irresponsible budget in U.S. history. Even John Maynard Keynes would not support such massive deficits with the unemployment rate so low. This can't go on now that interest rates have returned to more normal levels. If a shutdown is in the price we pay to start moving in the direction of less government spending, investors should be eager to see that happen. The shutdowns in the mid-1990s caused the government to become more fiscally responsible, and it led to Clinton-era surpluses. And that was really good for everyone. So, as I just mentioned, we had the Fed meeting this week, and let's talk about what came out of that Fed meeting, and you're going to know it when you see it. While the Fed kept rates unchanged at this week's meeting, between the past conference and the forecast updates, Powell and company gave plenty of ammo to keep the financial press busy, speculating about what may come in the next FOMC meeting this fall. The Fed statement itself was a non-event, with minor wording changes noting that the economy is growing at a solid rather than moderate rate, and employment gains have slowed but remained strong. It's in the updated economic projections or the dot plots which gave a peek at how the Fed expects the economic and rate landscape to evolve moving forward that things got interesting. The Fed upped its economic growth forecast for this year and next to 2.1% and 1.5% respectively, compared to June estimates of 1% and 1.1%. And although, along with stronger growth, the Fed projects a more modest rise in unemployment rate to 3.8%, its prior forecast at 4.1%, and slightly higher inflation at 3.3% versus a forecast of 3.2%. Interestingly, they lowered their forecasts for foreign inflation, which strips out the volatile food and energy components. At 3.7% for year-end 2023, and they will have core inflation sitting at 2.6% at the end of 24. We would take the over on that bet. But what do these outlook changes mean for the path of rates? One more rate hike is anticipated by the majority of policymakers before the end of the year, just as they forecasted in June. But now they believe that rates will then need to remain higher for longer. June projections showed a total of 100 basis points that would be 1% of rate cuts anticipated by FOMC members in 2024. But now that has been revised to expected cuts of a half percent or one half of 1% or 50 basis points. 
On balance, the dot plot showed a more hawkish outlook. During the press conference, questions evolved around how the Fed will determine if and when rates have become sufficiently restrictive and no further high rate hikes are expected. Powell has channeled former, former Supreme Court Justice Power Port, Potter Stewart's classic line that we will know it when we see it. In other words, the Fed does not have a high degree of confidence on when exactly the rate cut process will be accomplished. They, by their own admission, have made it very difficult time forecasting how inflation and rates would unfold, and their models still aren't up to the task. What makes this so frustrating is that the Fed and the financial media who have the opportunity to ask questions during the question and answer sessions refuse to even discuss the impacts of money supply on the inflation ills in the past few years. If the Federal Reserve were paying close attention to the money supply, it would know that monetary policy is already tight. While M2 has risen modestly since April following nine consecutive months of decline, the money supply has contracted 3.7% in the past year. Meanwhile, bank credit at commercial banks as well as their commercial and industrial loans are both down. If this is tight, we're not sure what tight means. It remains to be seen how quickly the reductions in the money supply will translate into inflation getting back to a Fed's 2% target. But the Fed has gained some traction against the inflation problem. Given time, the mission can be accomplished, but the Fed must remain patient. They waited far too long to start rate hikes. They shouldn't jump the gun on their cuts. And now each FOMC meeting should be considered active, meaning that the Fed is ready to raise rates further if the data suggests that more work to be done. But without a clear path forward, the looming government shutdown resumption of student loan payments, slowing economic employment growth, and higher oil prices could cloud the Fed's vision as 2023 comes to a close. So where's the finish line? Nobody knows for sure, but we are not there yet. Dick Donahue with you with Wolf Wake Up here in KGMI. We'll be back in a minute. Decisions, decisions. Whether it's choosing your dinner spot or picking the perfect show to stream, even the simplest choices can be challenging. Hi, I'm Brad Barron, CEO at Barron Heating, AC, Electrical, and Plumbing. And today, I'm thrilled to introduce something that'll make your whole home comfort decisions a breeze. Barron's new upfront pricing. Whether you need heating, cooling, solar, or plumbing, we've taken our whole home approach to the next level. We've taken out the guesswork in our estimating process. No surprises, no compromises, just clear and straightforward upfront pricing. Our home performance experts will provide you with accurate knowledge on the spot, allowing you to easily choose the right products that meet your comfort, health, and efficiency needs, all within your budget. And with our buyer's guide, we'll help you navigate your project decisions with ease. Right now, we have cooling options for as low as $99 per month and add a furnace for just $30 more. Call Barron today. 
Barron, your full-service HVAC, electrical, and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Harness the power of the sun, reduce your carbon footprint, and save on your energy bills. You can now go solar with West Mechanical Heating, Air Conditioning, and Electrical. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Woke Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. We are Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway. That's out on Old Highway 99, parallel to I-5, north of the Slater Road. And we are in the Pacific Commerce Center, out by Wilson's Furniture. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. Give us a call. Okay, look, got a couple economic reports. I do want to make one other statement here. We are going to be going off today at the half hour because of the Mariners broadcast, so a little shorter program than normal. But I am going to give you August's housing starts, and they posted the largest monthly decline in over a year in August, failing to the slowest pace since the first worst of the COVID pandemic in 2020. However, we don't see this as a sign of persistent weakness ahead in home building. While both single-family and multi-unit projects contributed to the decline, a massive 26.3% drop in the multi-unit category was largely responsible for the bad headline number. Looking at the big picture, during COVID, a combination of extremely low interest rates and pressure to work from home led initially to big migration to the suburbs and high demand for single-family homes. Then the economy reopened, causing many people to flock back to the cities, sparking a boom in apartment projects. Currently, the number of multi-unit properties under construction is hovering near record levels, going back to 1970 when the records begin. Now it looks like the move back to the cities has petered out, leaving a glut of apartments. In contrast, owners of existing homes are hesitant to list their properties and give up fixed sub-3% mortgage rates, so many prospective buyers have turned to new builds as their best option. I talked a little bit about this yesterday's show. This has created a huge gap in the data, with construction of single-family homes up a modest 2.4% in the past year, while multi-unit activity is down 41.6% over the same period. In other words, home building isn't falling off a cliff like in the prior housing bust. Home completions rose 3.3% in August. Permits for both single-family and multi-unit properties posted gains. In other recent housing news, the NHAB Housing Index, which is a measure of home builder settlement, sentiment fell to 45 in September from 50 in August. This is the second decline in eight months and coincides with a recent jump in mortgage rates. An index reading below 50 signals that greater number of builders view conditions as poor versus good. 
We also had the August existing home sales report come out this week, and there wasn't much to get excited about in this report on existing home sales, which fell for the third consecutive month in August. The housing market facing a series of headwinds, some of them temporary. First, the recent surge in benchmark interest rates like the 10-year Treasury yield has translated into a 30-year fixed mortgage rates, which are currently hovering above 7.5% for the first time in more than two decades. Assuming a 20% down payment, the rise in mortgage rates since the Federal Reserve began its current tightening cycle in March of 22 amounts to a 41% increase in monthly payments on a new 30-year mortgage for the median existing home. Eventually, the housing market can adapt to these increases, but each surge in rates like we've experienced lately leads to some indigestion. Meanwhile, home prices appear to be rising again, although modestly, with a median price of an existing home up 3.9% from a year ago. In addition, many existing homeowners are reluctant to sell due to a mortgage lock-in phenomenon after buying or refinancing at much lower rates before 22. That should limit future existing sales and inventories. However, a tight inventory of existing homes should prevent a repeat of 2008. Case in point, the month's supply of homes, which is how long it'll take to sell existing inventory at the current very slow pace, was 3.3 in August, well below the benchmark of 5 that the National Association of Realtors uses to denote a normal market. Finally, a weakening economy in which the Federal Reserve doesn't act quickly to cut rates because of high inflation could be a headwind for home sales this next year. Adding this all together, expect sales and prices to drag on the year ahead with no persistent recovery in existing home sales until at least late 23 or early 24. In employment news, initial claims for jobless benefits fell 20,000 last week to 201,000. Meanwhile, continuing claims fell 21,000 to 1.662 million. These figures suggest continued growth in employment in September. And finally, on the factory front, the Philadelphia Fed Index, which measures manufacturing sentiment in that region, fell to minus 13.5 in September from plus 12 in August. The region is home for auto parts manufacturers who are likely affected by the UAW strike. And I had a caller, listener the other day, that called regarding a missed RMD because of a death. And this piece I'm going to cover here doesn't exactly answer his question, but I also want to note that I tried to call my experts that I consult with on these types of questions, and uh, they were unavailable the rest of this week, so I'll get back to him next week if he happens to be listening again. But anyway, don't ignore there's a three-year statute of limitations on missed RMDs. And when an IRA or retirement plan owner reaches a particular age, they typically must begin taking required minimum distributions, or RMDs. The RMD is calculated based on the year-end account value divided by a life expectancy table. Of course, there's a separate parade of variables to consider, including, one, are you using a uniform life table or the joint life? Is there an inherited account, therefore using a single life table? At what age do lifetime RMDs begin? 70 and a half, 72, or 73? It depends on your age and the law that was in effect at the time. Is there a work plan like a 401k? Do RMDs even apply if a person is still working? Is there a Roth IRA? If so, lifetime RMDs do not apply. Is it an inherited Roth IRA? If so, RMDs could potentially apply. Or do I consider the Roth money in my 401k in this RMD calculation? Well, the answer to that is no, starting in 2024. So which counts can be aggregated in for the RMD calculation and which cannot? 
There's a huge list that goes on and on. Is there any wonder that people freeze in the spotlight? Is there any wonder that RMDs get missed? Of course not. And in the past, if all or a portion of an RMD was not timely withdrawn, there was a significant penalty of 50%. That penalty has since been reduced to 25% by the Secure 2.0 Act, further to 10% if the error was corrected within typically two years. Fortunately, if an RMD was missed, the IRS has been agreeable to waiving the penalty for good cause. In fact, the proposed SECURE Act regulations added a couple of automatic missed RMD penalty waivers in certain situations, like missed for the year of death, or if the RMD is taken by the beneficiary's tax filing deadlines, including extensions. Additional RMD penalty waiver language contained in Section 313 of Secure 2.0 has curiously received less fanfare, but this section has a three-year statute of limitation for missed RMDs. This means that if an RMD is missed, the 25% penalty is only applicable for the next three years. After that, it falls off the book. Let's take an example. Robert inherited an IRA from his sister back in 2017. He was supposed to start taking annual RMDs in 2018, but he did not. In fact, Robert has never taken an RMD from the inherited IRA. Prior to Secure 2.0, Robert faced a penalty, potential penalty for every year that he missed taking the RMD. However, under the new guidelines, Robert may need only to be concerned about the previous three years, 20, 21, and 22. In fact, since the CARE Act waived the RMDs for 20, he may only have to worry about 21 and 22. But you need to be forewarned. Secure 2.0 is not perfectly clear. The legislation is not precise. The example that we just used is an interpretation of the law. Others argue that the three-year statute of limitations begins with the enactment of Secure 2.0, which was at the end of 22. This more conservative analysis believes that the missed RMD penalty still applies in years prior to Secure 2.0, meaning that Robert, in this example above, must still account for 2018 and 19. Nevertheless, be aware that the three-year statute of limitations for missed RMDs does in fact exist, and how the legislation is going to be applied is awaiting for IRS guidance. This has been Dick Donahue with you with Wolf Wake Up here in KGMI. I want to thank you for listening. Don't forget our live show on Saturdays at 11. And if you got questions for us, give us a call, 360-733-1200, and enjoy the Mariners today. voiced on the show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.